Well, tonight, for those of you who may not know, this would mark the 36th message that I have preached out of the Sermon on the Mount, which begins in Matthew chapter 5, runs through chapter 6, and finishes in chapter 7. And in the Sermon on the Mount, what you discover if you go back to chapter 5 and in the first couple of verses is that Christ has pulled his disciples away from the crowd and he's pulled them away from the masses. And Christ has begun speaking to the disciples, giving them instruction and giving them counsel on how to really, what we would say, live the Christian life. And this is what he begins with, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He talks about the importance of meekness. He talks about the importance of seeking after righteousness, hungering and thirsting after that which is right. And and then, of course, as you go through chapter 5 and as you go through chapter 6, Christ is going to address many different subjects, many different things that not just the disciples then, but disciples of Christ today would still need in their life and would still be better off if they would apply it to their life. And so in chapter 6, as you finish that portion of Scripture, you find that Christ is emphasizing to his disciples not to place too much emphasis on the things of this world. He says you don't want to consume yourself with the things of this world. What you want to consume yourself with is seeking first the righteousness of God and the kingdom of God. And he said if you will just seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, then God will be faithful to meet every need that we have. And so last week I challenged us, and I just want to remind us again tonight, that our number one priority in our Christian life is to seek the authority of God in our life and to seek what is right and to strive to execute that. When we do that, we can enjoy the promise of knowing that God will meet our needs no matter what happens in this world that we live in. As we come to chapter 7, we're going to notice in just a moment that the direction or the thought pattern of Christ is going to shift in a major way. But before we do, I want us to think about something that I know all of us can identify with to one extent or another. But every one of us who are engaged in a full-time job, in a, a secular job, of course, this would be true, you know that there are certain industry standards placed on your particular line of work. So if you're in one kind of business, there are going to be certain standards for this industry that must be met in order to satisfy the laws or the demands, maybe, of the government that we are under. And the industry standards that you may be under may be different than the industry standards that someone else may be under, but everyone is under a certain set of standards by which they must adhere to if they're going to... I don't know, satisfy the demands of the government or stay employed with their employer. Does that make sense? And and so you go to work and you understand these are the standards placed on us or on me as a result of the industry that I am a part of. And something we all know to be true is this. A person cannot decide, well, this standard doesn't apply to me and thus began living however they want and not suffer the consequence of that at some point. If if the standard is in place, there must be submission to that standard or problems will arise at some point. 
And so a person is not allowed to say, well, you know, I, I think that standard is ridiculous or I think that standard is crazy or I think that standard requires far too much. I, I don't think we need to worry about all that stuff. Listen, you may think it's too much. You may think it's requiring too much. You may think it's demanding too much. You may think it's not necessary. But you know what? The ones who set the standard in place, they don't really care what you think. Here is your standard. You either submit to it, you either comply with it, or you will be fined, or you will be penalized, or you can find another industry to work in. We don't care, but this is the standard by which you will be measured. Somebody says, well, it's not just me who thinks it's silly. I've got friends who think it's silly. <laughs> Woo-hoo-hoo. <laughs> oh, so you and three of your buddies think, well, that's a dumb standard. Okay, well, well we'll just rewrite everything for you. Well, that's not how it works, is it? No, if the standard is in place for your particular industry, then here is what we all would understand and here is what we all would recognize. That's the standard. That is the standard. Well, I don't like the standard. Well, I don't care. Well, me and my buddies, we don't like the standard. Well, we, this may shock you, but we're not here to debate whether or not you like the standard. This is the standard. Either you comply or you face the consequences of a lack of compliance. Fairly simple to understand, right? Now, I know that some of you in the line of work that you're in, from time to time, your work can be inspected by the higher-ups in your profession. I've had conversations with some of you, and you've talked about some of the standards that are required of you all. And there are times that people can come in and evaluate your work. And these people who come in from higher up, who have the authority to evaluate your work, they can give you, in a sense, a passing grade or a failing grade. They can say this either meets the standard or it does not meet the standard. Now imagine for a moment if someone were to come in with your particular industry knowing the standards that are in place and they begin to evaluate your work and they say, I'm sorry, but this does not meet the standard for this industry. Try this one on and see how well it works. Look at the person who's got the authority to inspect your work and say something like this, don't judge. Don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? See how well that goes over. You know what they'll remind you of? Their authority. I have the authority to cast judgment. Not based upon my standard, but based upon the standard that has been set for the industry. Well, you've just got a very negative spirit. I don't care what you call it. The standard has not been met. So you can call this a negative spirit. You can call it a judgmental spirit. You and your buddies can get together and say, I'm just a negative, judgmental, angry person. You can call it what you want. But I have the authority based upon the standard that is in place and established to tell you your work does not meet the standard. It fails. It doesn't pass. We understand that in life, don't we? 
I've said this so many times before, and I'm going to say it again tonight. Isn't it amazing how there is a breakdown in logic when you begin talking about Christianity? If, if you don't know exactly what I mean by that, let me just explain something real quick. This would be true of me, and I would hope that it would be true of every one of us who identify ourselves as believers. If you and I would identify ourselves as believers, then here is what I hope that we would agree on tonight without any measure of argument, and that is this. We would say that the Word of God is final authority in the affairs of men and women. The Word of God, I hope we would all say tonight, is we would say this of the Word of God, that it is the standard by which all men and all women will be judged. And as a result of the standard that has been put in place by God's Word, it is His authority and it is not our authority that certain declarations are made. You know as well as I do that in the society that we live in tonight, there are certain hot topics of discussion and hot topics of debate. And certain things that were once agreed on years ago, well, those are now things that are open for discussion, and those are things that are now open for debate. And, and we've seen a major shift in the thinking and the thought process of many in America today. And so we've come to a place in society, and don't worry, I'm just going to hit on a couple of them real quick, but we've hit a place in society today where you hear things like this, that it's, it's just not wrong anymore to live in immorality. I listened to a preacher out of Houston yesterday on a YouTube video talking about the immorality that is rampant in our culture today and how men and women want to live together prior to marriage to make sure that they're really compatible. And if, you know, things don't work out there, then we'll just separate from this relationship and we'll bounce to another relationship and we'll bounce to another relationship and whatever it may be. And today we're living in a society that seems to have no morality attached to it. And the world says something like this. Well, what's the big deal? Well, the problem is this. The Bible condemns such a lifestyle. It just does. It says abstain from these activities, things like adultery and things like fornication and flee fornication and, and, and don't do these things. And so the Bible, as the authority, is clear on this matter. Hey, don't do it. We're living in a very socialistic society where more and more people are enjoying the hard work of others and the benefits associated with y'all's hard work. Society doesn't want to hear what the Word of God has to say on the matter. Society doesn't want to hear what the Apostle Paul wrote to some believers who said something like this, if you don't work, you don't deserve to eat. If you're not going to get up and go to work every day, I don't mean to sound rude, I don't mean to sound negative, I don't mean to sound hateful, but, but the Bible says if you are an able-bodied person and you could get up and go work, it didn't say you have to be rich, it didn't say you have to be wealthy, it didn't say you have to have a prestigious job, but it did say if you don't work, you don't deserve to eat. It, it really is that simple. But in this liberal, trending society we live in, see how popular that message is. 
Here's a hot topic. Traditional marriage. Don't go silent on me all of a sudden. <laughs> You'll make some of our guests wonder what in the world. Uh, John now loves Joe. Susie now loves Sally. And a Christian says, I don't care who John loves. I don't care who Susie loves. If John loves Joe and Susie loves Sally, they're living in sin. It's just that simple. The Bible says, Thou shalt not kill. And murder is spoken against in the Scripture. And the world wants to tell us abortion's okay. It's a woman's choice. They have the freedom to decide what happens to their body. And we're not going to worry about the rights of the child within the womb because that could really inconvenience the life of the mother, even though the mother should have thought of that before she became pregnant with child. And so we would say, as a Bible believer, uh, that's wrong. It's sinful. So you see where that puts us as Christians? We look to the Word of God and we say, okay, this is the standard by which the Christian is supposed to live. This is the standard by which we're supposed to adopt the rights and the wrongs, the, the righteous and the unrighteous for our lives. And, and it's these things that the Word of God teaches us that we're supposed to adhere to. This is our standard of living. But notice, please, the kind of world that we live in. The world loves to stand and make this declaration from Scripture so they believe. Judge not. Judge not. I don't remember where I read this or where I heard this, but I was sharing this with some men this morning at prayer meeting. That years ago, it used to be that people, if they had any understanding or any awareness of the Scripture at all, the verse that they were most familiar with and most acquainted with was that of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Even if they were not really a solid church goer, they understood what John 3.16 was about. But over the years, with the shift in the attitudes of culture and society, you know what has become the favorite verse of people who don't even consider themselves to be religious? It's Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1. Judge not. Their battle cry and their motto in life is this, don't judge me. Don't judge my lifestyle. Don't judge what I do. Don't tell me that there's a right and there's a wrong. And, and real quick, I, I just want to point out how hypocritical those individuals truly are. Because even those who cry out, judge not, still find areas of opportunity in their life by which to cast judgment. What do you mean? I mean this. Let someone murder another person who doesn't happen to be a child inside the womb. And you know what society will say? Well, you're wrong. That's inappropriate. 
You can't be taking people's lives. Oh, now hold on. Who are you to judge? I thought you said judge not. I mean, if we're going to carry your logic all the way through, then we've got to be honest all the way through this. And if I can't judge someone for this, then you can't judge someone for that. And they would look at you and say, well, you're just being ridiculous. You're just carrying this too far. No, I'm just saying, even you who says judge not, you find yourself judging. Someone has an inappropriate relationship as an adult with the child, and guess what society's ready to do? Cast some judgment. Now, you're not supposed to be doing that with a child. That's just a minor. That's just someone who doesn't know what's going on. And you took advantage of them and you prayed upon them. And, and now, now you are a criminal in our society. Now, hold on. If I'm going to take your approach to life, then I can say to you, hey, don't judge that person. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know how they were raised. You don't know what kind of an environment they grew up. And I can throw all the same excuses at you that you like to throw at us. They find themselves judging. Assault a woman. All of a sudden, we're ready to judge. Hold that Bible quote in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1, only scripture they know person. Point a gun at them and demand all their money and see if they're cool with that. At that moment, they're ready to cast some judgment upon the person who has the gun pointed in their face and say, that's not right. Do you see how hypocritical it is for people to say, don't judge, when in fact they themselves on a regular basis are judging? But see, here's what society has wanted to do, and here's what society has decided they have the right to do. Society has decided, well, see, we don't like what the standard is for men and women's lives. And so what they've done is kind of like the guy at work who says, well, I don't like that. I think it's way too demanding. I think it's way too strict. I think it requires way too much. And it's not just me who thinks this. I've got some buddies who think this. Well, you know what the Lord says? La-di-da-di-da. So you don't like what I had to say about immorality. I'm sorry. The Bible says it. And you don't like what the Bible has to say about laziness. Well, the Bible declares it. You don't like what the Bible says about marriage. One man, one woman. Well, I apologize, but I don't apologize for that. But I'm sorry that you don't like it, but that's what the Bible says. And you don't like what the Bible says about murder and what we would classify abortion as, as murder. And so you don't like that. Well, it doesn't really matter what you think. The Word of God has already been established and I can't change it, and you can't change it, and we can't form a coalition and come together and say, well, we don't accept that anymore for our lives. Guess what? God is not in heaven getting nervous wondering what we think about His Word. It's God's Word. And as God, He has the right to cast judgment. Somebody says, well, that may be, but that doesn't mean you've got the right to cast judgment. Well, I'm sorry, but I do. The Word of God encourages me by example to be judgmental. Well, how in the world could you say such a thing? Well, look at the life of Christ, whom we would try to pattern ourselves after. He was fairly judgmental. 
He didn't have a lot of use for the Pharisees. And he wasn't walking around saying, well, you know, I really don't have the right to judge. Christ was saying, uh, no, you're wrong. And this is wrong. And this is wrong. And you're snakes and you're vipers. And, and you require things of people that you yourselves will not do. You are hypocrites of the worst sort. Well, that's kind of a judgmental spirit. It was. And Christ didn't apologize. Somebody says, well, yeah, that was Christ. He had the right to do that. Okay, I understand. The Apostle Paul, he was a man like you and I. And guess what he had? A judgmental spirit. He looked at the lives of the Corinthians. He looked at how they were handling themselves. The immorality in the church, the selfishness of the church, the abuse of the gifts taking place within the members of that church. And you know what the Apostle Paul did? He cast judgment. It's exactly what he did. The Apostle Paul, in writing to believers in Galatia, he said, listen, if anyone comes to you and preaches any other gospel than what you have heard and received of me, you do not accept it and you do not receive it. Well, friends, the only way that you can refuse something and not accept it and thus in turn reject it is if you sit there and you critique it and you cast some kind of judgment on it. As we live the Christian life, judgments have to be made. But we've got to understand something. The only judgment that we as Christians are allowed to make are things on which the standard has already spoken to. I can be judgmental with the right spirit and the right attitude of the one who lives in immorality. And I can say, hey, listen, it's not me saying this. Please don't take this wrong because I don't mean any disrespect by this. It's not me who is saying this, but, but higher up says this is wrong. Your issue is not with me. I, I'm just telling you what authority has already spoken on. I, I can look to the person who is in a relationship that is not traditional, or we would say tonight biblical, and I could say, listen, I, I don't have a problem with you personally, but I can say this, there is a problem with your lifestyle, and that's not because I don't agree with it, and it's not because I'm not comfortable with it, it's because higher up has already said that's wrong. So it's not me that you're upset at. You're upset with my authority. I'm just here telling you what's already been established by final authority. So what exactly then did Christ mean when he tells the disciples in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1, to judge not? Well, a few months ago, you may remember that I reminded us of the religious culture that the disciples were living in in that day. They were living in a religious culture. They were living in a religious day where the Pharisees controlled the religious temperature and the religious activity of the day. And as a result of the Pharisees' authority and as a result of the Pharisees' power in the religious affairs of their life, if you know anything about the Pharisees, here's what they did. They began to place more emphasis on the teachings of man than on the teachings of of God. So they placed more authority on man's word and man's laws and man's traditions 
than on God's words and God's laws. Christ had no use for the Pharisees because of, because of their Pharisaical, judgmental, holier-than-thou spirit on matters that had absolutely, listen, that had absolutely nothing to do with God's established word. And here's what Christ knew. Christ knew that even the disciples had a touch of the spirit or the attitude of a Pharisee in them. Because that's how we as people many times tend to operate. What exactly do I mean by that? Well, give me just a couple of moments and I'll try to explain what I mean by that. You and I as individuals... We tend to get certain things in our head that this is how it's supposed to be. And based upon those things that we begin to think about and to draw conclusions about and determine this is how it ought to be, if we're not careful, we can begin expecting other people to do what we do. And if they don't do it like we do, then we become very judgmental of these people. Does this make sense? I tried to come up with just some random illustrations of this. Because if you're in the church setting long enough, you'll hear things like this and you'll be made aware of certain debates and arguments that take place. What time should a man of God wake up in the morning? Somebody's looking at me like, what? What time should a man of God wake up in the morning? Right? Well, I wake up at 5 o'clock every morning. Because that's when I spend my time in prayer, and that's when I read my Bible. And, 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 and you need to get up early in the morning to do that. What time do you get up? I get up at 7. Seven? You sleep in till seven? Yes. My goodness. Uh, I, I'm not trying to be weird, but can you take me to Scripture that tells me what time I'm supposed to wake up in the mornings? Now, just so you know, I'm godlier than seven. I wake up at 5.30 in the mornings. Now, you may laugh and you may sit there and think that's silly, but I'm telling you, I've got preachers that I know, they sleep till seven every morning, and I can promise you that there are people who would look down on those friends of mine who sleep half the day away, not waking up till seven o'clock. And friends, that's not a Bible issue. But if we're not careful, we can get into this judgmental spirit that says, well, I wake up at 5.30 and you ought to be waking up at 5.30. And somebody may say, well, I got you beat. I got you at 5 o'clock. And they're feeling pretty good about themselves at 5 o'clock till some moron shows up and says, well, I get up at 4.30. Amen. 
you think I'm exaggerating this, but it's true. There is measures of spirituality determined in the minds of other people based upon what time you roll out of bed in the morning. That's not where we have the privilege to judge. That's where you sit there and say, if you wake up at 7, I wake up at 5.30, you wake up at 4. I don't know why you would do that, but whatever reason, more power to you. But that's not a Bible issue. Does this make sense? It is not a Bible issue. I've mentioned this on so many different occasions. The manner in which I dress coming to church. I wear a suit and a tie because I feel like in the position I'm in, this is an appropriate way to present myself tonight. I'm good with it. It doesn't bother me. But I had Brother Burnham stand just a moment ago, and I introduced him. And what was he negligent to wear this evening? He was negligent to wear the tie. Uh, we can laugh about this, but I promise you there are circles of people who would take issue with the man of God, once a former pastor. Doesn't he know what men of God wear? What exactly do they wear? I suspect tonight if we were somewhere in India, I wouldn't be wearing what I'm wearing tonight. I would suspect that if I were in certain parts of, say, South America, I wouldn't be wearing the same wool suit and cotton shirt and silk tie. I, I would be wearing something that would be a little bit more appropriate for the setting and the environment. But again, I, I'm here to say it is things like this, that, that people get these bees in their bonnets and they begin to look at someone, well, you're not wearing a tie, well, you're not wearing a suit coat, well, you're wearing a pair of pants, or, or, or you're not wearing this, or you are wearing this. That is not a biblical issue. So I can look around this evening and see a lot of people dressed a lot like me, and I can see a lot of people not dressed anywhere like me at all. And understand, please, in the eyes of God, He is not one bit concerned about that. So God's not going to pat me on the back when I get home this evening and say, Nice suit. He's just not. Scripture says nothing about what kind of car I'm supposed to drive. I'm just throwing a few things out here so that you really get the point, okay? Why does that even need to be said? Because it's amazing the number of people who will concern themselves as to what kind of car someone else is driving. Oh, they went out and bought a new car, huh? Yes. Huh. What was that about? New car. Well, I mean, all cars have to be new at some time, don't they? Very seldom do they roll the old ones right off the assembly line. I am thankful that there are people out there who buy the new ones so that I can buy the used ones. I mean, we can laugh about this, but I'm being serious. 
That there are people out there that say, well, don't you know about the depreciation? Don't you know about the initial loss you're going to take? Don't you know about this? Don't you know about this? And I've, I've heard people say things like this, and they get worked up about it. It's not a wise financial investment, and, and it's not good stewardship. At the end of the day, you know what? God doesn't care. You want to go out and buy a brand new car? I think really the only requirement is, is you've got to be able to pay for it. And if you can pay for it, God's okay with it. If you buy it and you can't pay for it, then you've overcommitted and you've got other issues. But, but listen, I am not less spiritual because I don't drive brand new cars. You're not less spiritual if you do drive a brand new car. But I promise you there are people who can get worked up about this because I can't believe they're spending that much money. And there are other people that say something like this. Well, don't they know they're just buying someone else's problems? Could we not just allow for the fact that maybe they prayed about it and they bought what they could afford and what God allowed them to purchase and just shut up and be done with it? Quit casting judgment. This is not your place to do it. We've got a lot of kids in here who go to public schools. Mine don't. Big deal. We prayed about it, and this is what we're comfortable with for our kids. You pray about it, and that's what you're comfortable with with your kids. You answer to God. You do not answer to me. But if we're not careful, again, I, I, just, I, I know what time it is, and we need to wrap this up, but, but I'm saying here is what happens. If we're not careful, the little Pharisee in us jumps out. And we feel like, okay, well, I'm going through life, and, and this is what I've adopted for my life, and this is what me and my wife have adopted for our family, and this is what we're going to do for our kids, and, and this is how we're going to live our life. And if we're not careful, we begin evaluating everybody based upon the standard we now have. And that's when Christ says to the disciples, hey, guys, judge not. He wasn't saying to them, hey, listen, you see that person living in immorality? Don't say anything to them because we don't want to be judgmental. That's not what Christ said. Christ did not say, hey, listen, you, you see that person over there who's got terrible anger issues and it's going to lead to murder one day possibly? He didn't say, sit back, don't say anything because we don't want him to think we're a negative religious group of people. No, he would say of that kind of a spirit and that kind of an attitude, you do judge that. John and Joe walk into church together holding hands. You address that. But if John walks in and John doesn't have a tie and, and Sally has on a pair of pants and their kids have on a pair of shorts, leave that between them and the Lord. That's not your place. Judge not. Well, why don't I get to judge? I'm very good at it. Some independent Baptist would declare. I come from a long line of judgmental people. Notice what he said in verse number one. Judge not that ye be not judged. I don't know about you, but I don't like being judged by people. I enjoy being able to go out in my front yard there on Duncan Street and not have to worry about what may drive by and what conclusions they may make about me and my family because of something they may or may not agree with or like. I don't like being judged. I'm guessing that you don't like being judged. 
Now, if you want to judge me according to some sin in my life that the Scripture deals with, then it doesn't matter if I like it or not. You have the right to judge me according to that. But, but I don't like you just casting judgment on me and everything that I say and everything I do and you picking me apart. And I'm guessing you don't like that any more than I do. So you know the best way to stop it? Stop it. You don't want to be judged? Stop your judgmental spirit. Judge not that ye be not judged. You, you don't want everybody casting doubt on you and, and, and your Christian life and where you stand before God. You don't want that happening in your life. Okay, quit doing it in other people's lives. The Lord doesn't care how good we are at being judgmental. Don't be judgmental. Judge not. In the areas that are not biblical, guys, don't judge, that ye be not judged. We'll deal with this more next week, but Christ reminds him in verse number 2, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. He says in verse number 2, let me just remind you, in the same way that you judge others, that will be the exact same spirit and manner in which you are judged. Now, I'm not talking about, and I want to make this very clear, I am not talking about suggesting or recommending that we as God's people go through life with this silly mentality, judge not, judge not, because that's not what Scripture said. I've said this so many times before. The Bible says, judge righteous judgment. There are times and there are places in which we as God's people have to stand and declare, not based upon our authority, but the authority of the Word of God, this is wrong. And this is what's right. There are times for you and I to be judgmental. Even in that, we have to have the right spirit. But I want to remind us tonight that there are certain things that we've just got to remind ourselves. Sometimes we have to remind our spouse. Sometimes our spouse needs to remind us, hey, uh, honey, that's really not any of our business. That's really not any of our concern. They'll stand before God on that. We'll stand before God on our issue. And uh, we need to be very careful about the attitude we have because we wouldn't want them judging us the same way that we're judging them right now. Just be careful, all right? Be careful. Let's all stand tonight. We're going to have a word of prayer. We're going to conclude a little bit different this evening. We're just going to have a word of prayer. Lauren, go ahead if you would. But I'd like to have us be dismissed in prayer, and then I'm going to give us a couple of instructions, and then we will be on our way. All right, so let's pray. Father.